Welcome to an all new Deep Cuts Live. I'm your host, Antoine Reed, and today I'm here with Mario Caraballo. I hope I pronounced it correctly or got close to it. We were just talking just a few minutes ago and trying to get people's names correct this, this this season. So, Mario, welcome to Deep Cuts Live. Hey, brother. How are you? It's good to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, like we were. So, Mario and I, Mario has sent me messages on Instagram, and I get inundated like so many people with so many messages sometimes from uh, people. I can't tell if they're real or bots. I don't always respond to the messages. So it was nice to kind of meet you in person. So now I can say, okay, yeah. And then I went back to the message. I'll say, okay, this is the real message. Cause sometimes you get some really weird, uh, at least I do on Instagram these days, bots, and they can be really sophisticated, like carry on like real conversations with you. And then you get to a point where you're like, you want me to do what? And then it's <laughs> so I, I was happy that you approached me at the trade show a couple of weeks ago and that we were able to kind of get you on to deep cuts and have a good conversation about you and your company and your experiences in the cigar industry. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a pleasure meeting you after almost uh, eight months of uh, reaching out to you and, uh, you know, I, I admire you as a human being. Uh, I admire your show. You have a great show. You put out some great content, some good information. You have a very smooth style, which is uh, important to getting message across to the entire audience that you have out there. So I want to congratulate you on that. And I want to upfront thank you once again for having me here uh, to talk about Casa Caraballo Cigars. Yeah. Like I said, um, for those of you who are watching or listening, Mario was part of the Boutique Cigar Association's pavilion at the Premium Cigar Association PCA trade show. There's a lot of like <laughs> acronyms in that. So yeah. a tongue twister. But so you were part of the BCA pavilion this year. And I tell people um, who didn't go to the show or didn't couldn't tell from all the videos that came out from me and other media outlets that this was uh, the first time we, that the PCA has kind of teamed up with the BCA to do a pavilion. And it was a very nice area. I know it was towards the back, which was, I think, the only complaint. And maybe that there needed to be a bigger sign that says, like, right here, like, this is where, where it's at. But I think you all came in with there being a lot of promotion and marketing um, where people at least knew to look for you all. So um, yeah, what was the show like for you as an exhibitor, like, coming in with the BCA, like what was, what was your experience and what was your kind of final take on that whole experiment of this pavilion? Well, you know, uh, I've, I've been to the show before uh, uh, as part of another team uh, when I was distributed by Sutliff. So Sutliff usually has a, a small enclave with uh, all their people there. And uh, that was very positive back when I did it a couple of times uh, with them. Uh, <clears throat> However, the VCA we had a bigger, bigger focus uh, in the entire uh, uh, show because we we wanted to not not only uh, preview and and show high quality premium cigars that are made by so called uh, boutique companies, you know, uh, and bring it to the PCA so retailers could have a one-stop shop for uh, a so-called boutique brands, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And I think I think we accomplished that in the sense that 
we were all centrally located. Uh, we didn't have a huge space uh, in, in regards to individual spaces, but they were big enough where you, you showed your, your products. Uh, and, and like you said, the, the only drawback at first was we were way out there in the back and we didn't have one of those hanging signs from the, from the ceiling. Right. That, uh, mm-hmm. but you, you learn, you learn from your mistakes and ne- next time we'll, we'll have a big sign like that, you know, so everybody could see it. But I think it was a positive experience in the sense that, uh, we all got together with the same goal and objective as a team. Uh, and, uh, we, we all knew going in that just cause you go to the PCA doesn't mean you're going to sell cigars, you know? Uh, the PCA is more about showing your brand, letting people know you're out there and, and marketing your product, you know? So from that perspective, it was a total win for everybody, uh, in my opinion, and based on the responses and the conversations I had with my other p- colleagues. So that was very positive. From a personal perspective, uh, I, I agree with that. I, I think it was a success in that aspect. First couple of days were numbing because normally you make sales the first couple of days. Yeah, but we, nobody did back there. Nobody, you know. So we were like scratching our heads, going, "What? What did we do wrong?" Right? And mm-hmm. and you know, you, you start talking after after hours, and you go, "Hey, you know, you got to be patient." You know, uh, retailers are coming in. They got appointments. They got all kinds of uh, prior uh, schedules, scheduled meetings, and they're going to take care of that. And then eventually they'll, they'll, they'll make their way t- towards the rear, which they did, you know. And uh, my last day was my best day, you know. I made, wow. I made a couple of sales that were good enough to to cover, uh, you know, a lot of the expenses and, and a little more. So. Uh, from that, from that aspect, it was good. But more important, it was good for the PCA to bring in all these cigar brands that are out there that are just as good as the legacy brands, or better in in some instances, that uh, can can bring a more diversity into the show, more choices for the retailers at great price points, right? You know, so so that's a win win for everybody. That's a win-win for the PCA because you get more memberships. Uh, it's a win for the BCA because, you know, we want everybody to know that we're not just uh, a ragtag group of uh, 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 brand owners. You know, we're actually professional. We, we we have standards of conduct to be in the BCA. We have to meet certain criterias. We're selected. Just because you have the money doesn't mean you get in, you know. Uh, you have to go through a questionnaire. You got to answer those questions. Make sure you you meet the standard, right? And it's not an easy standard, you know. So, so it's a win-win for everybody, uh, and more important for not just the cigar industry, but for the retailers, right? Because retailers have a lot of decisions they have to make. You know, they have an inventory. Some have a big shop. Some have a small shop. Uh, and they all have their own stories and their own reasons why they will buy from you or not buy from you, et cetera, et cetera. You know, at the end of the day, it's up to you to sell your brand. And, you know, like I tell everybody, hey, I make the best cigars, right? Everybody says that. Well, I make good cigars and I know they're great. So because everybody tells me that I make great cigars. So until they say otherwise, I'm going to keep promoting that, right? And when 
a good retailer says, hey, I want to try your cigars, I would say, yeah, here we go. Let's try them. You know, let's smoke them and let's criticize them and tell me what's what's what we can do better, right? Because there's always room for improvement in everything we do, you know? So uh, the PCA, I think, for everybody was a success. Yeah, and full disclosure for those watching or listening, so just this year, I started actually working with the PCA. So I'm the content director. So for me, it was fun because this was the first show where I'm on like the other side, still doing media stuff, but on the other side of it. So I never want to assume, you know, or you say, oh, like this is great. And that's not my type of style to spin it uh, for people. So I thought it was great to have you kind of give your own personal take on how it was. Like I said, for me, I think what I heard and what I saw too is that, you know, when you get on the show floor so big um, that you're like, where, where, where is this person? Where is that person? <laughs> so yeah. you're, you're seeing, so you're, you're, you're looking for signs, you're looking for, for some guidance. And so for me, that was like the biggest thing. Cause I, I heard a lot of people saying, Oh, you know, this BCA pavilion, BCA pavilion. And then when you get on the show floor, you're like, where is it? And then, you know, it takes you a little while to, to, to get back there. Yeah, and there are so many retailers that have different strategies as they're going into the show. Like they have, a, like you said, a list of brands that they're definitely going to see. They're going to sit down. This is like their big buy-in for like the year. They have those meetings and then they have like a little bit of time left over because some of them don't stay the whole three or four days. They stay like maybe one or two days and then they, you know, explore. And then they probably like found you all back there. It's like, oh yeah. So I, I would think, as you said, that there's a learning curve. Uh, I know I'll learn some stuff, like things to do differently next year um, as a media person uh, with B- with the PCA. And I think you all, like maybe what will help too is um, having, setting up appointments so that people, you know, will come out there for just to visit the whole pavilion and then take them around. Because that's what happened with me. Like once I got back there, I think it was the second it was either second or the third day. Um, once I got back there, it was like I would go to one station back there and I'll talk to, to that company, that person. And then they were like, oh, now you should go over here. And they will actually walk me over to the next person. And then I will get there. Oh, now you should go over here. And then it was like nice to have that kind of, you know, almost like back in elementary school, we have stations. <laughs> um, maybe exactly. they don't have stations anymore, but. Um, back in the 80s, at least we had stations yeah. and, uh, yeah. you know, it was nice because it was like you knew, you kind of had, you know, you spent a good 30 or 40 minutes back there. But you got to see all these different companies and it was great stories. Everyone, because we just had Alan on from Family by Loyalty. Um, great guy. Great you know, cigars. Yeah. Great, great team. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And we're t- saying like each boot, like, yes, you all were in one big pavilion. But each one had its own unique story, own unique style, own approach yeah. to business. So. Yeah. So, so we, you know, uh, we we strategized before uh, we went out there. I mean, we planned this for almost six, seven months. It wasn't like a one, two, three thing. It was carefully planned, articulate. We had meetings every every week uh, with all the companies that were going to participate. So, this was a very thought out plan and. One of the things that we agreed upon was that, for example, when a retailer came to me and heard my story and, you know, 
some of them lit up right there because that's what I really like to do. I like to get the retailer to light up their cigars right there. That way, as they walk away, they, they're, they're already saying, this is a good cigar or mm-hmm. not, right? If you give them the sticks and they walk away, then you have to work 10 times as hard. Because like this week, all I've been doing is following up and calling, you know, all the guys that that I was supposed to, you know, follow up and see how they're doing, you know, give them a week to just kind of settle down. And then the second week, call them up and say, hey, did you try the scars? So, you know, you're still interested. And, and that's how, how you work it. But we all agreed that uh, once you were done with a retailer, then you, you said, let me take you and introduce you to XYZ brand, which is right next door, right? Uh, and then you did that introduction, and then they took the same approach afterwards. And some retailers got to see five or six brands there, right? Mm-hmm. Some, because of their time, only you got to see two. But at least we all did that to help each other out, right? In the sense that, hey, you may not buy my brand, and that's okay, but you may like Alan's brand because it's nice and and, and cute and good cigars, you know, and uh, and so let's let's go over there and talk, and talk to Alan and let me introduce you to him. And I think it worked it worked out pretty well. I think some of us did that more than others, but that's expected because you know once you're in the grind, uh, you're focused on whatever it is you're doing and not on what what's going on around you. So I mean, so yeah, we we did do that, and I think it it, it benefited. Uh, Everybody in the sense that uh, some people got exposed to other retailers, you know, and uh, I had a retailer from Alaska, you know, and and he he loved my price point. He goes, man, your price points are great, you know, and I go, is the shipping going to kill you? <laughs> you're in Alaska, you know what I mean? So how can I how can I make it cheaper for him where he could still buy my cigars and I have to pay so much, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a way around it, you know, I, instead of shipping from the States, I ship directly from Nicaragua, you know what I mean? And it, it saves them a whole ton of money, you know? Uh, so from that perspective, I think uh, it was very positive, you know, very positive for, for everybody. And we were lucky, you know, we had you out there. We had uh, Spanish uh, media out there uh, covering Mexico and like, 16 other countries uh i think it was umo latino the magazine they were out there they did an interview in every little uh kiosk that was out there belonging to each individual brand you know what i mean that's special Mm -hmm. attention you know what i mean you know and we were grateful for that because you know they took the time i mean they gave me like 10 minutes to talk about the brand and and they they questioned me and you know, and uh, it was a great interview because you got to tell your your story to a whole new audience that's overseas, right? And uh, some good thing, some good things have come out of that for me. I got a call from Panama. I got a call from from Colombia. I have people that are interested in bringing the cigars to Panama and Colombia. Uh, they want to do other things that are more in the high class uh, side of the house, which, you know, like nice dinners with cutting lights and, you know, stuff like that, which is, to me is interesting. Uh, Now, how do we make that work where nobody loses money and everybody wins, right? That's the hard thing to do. 
Yeah, and uh, um, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was listening to a podcast this morning and it was talking about AI, of course, because that's like the big topic in uh, tech these days and in media, but how there's AI out there now that will dub or trans or like redub your videos into another language. Right. <laughs> so yeah. it opens it up to another, it's a, you know, as, as much as we talk about how the U.S. is such an important market, as you said, there are other markets out there. So imagine yes. if you could take like the U.S. media, because there, there's a lot of great media personalities and platforms in the cigar industry that are, are based here in the U.S. But if you could take that content and somehow redub it or transcribe it into another language, you know, I yeah. just think it opens up new doors. Yeah, I I have I, I had a, a gentleman from Lebanon. You know, Lebanon consumes more tobacco per capita than the United States. You know, that's that's statistically been proven. And you think Lebanon? You know, mm -hmm. well, there's a lot there's a lot of money in Lebanon. If you know, if you've ever been to Lebanon, and even with its current crisis, it's still a very productive country. So, so he uh, he was interested in the cigars and. He tried them in Nicaragua, and he couldn't make it to the show, you know. So uh, I speak a little Arabic, not a lot. So I use my AI tool to make sure that uh, I got the message across to him, you mm -hmm. know, in Arabic, right? And he wrote back in English. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm going, you didn't tell me you spoke good English. I thought you only <laughs> spoke Spanish, you know. He goes, no, I speak. Arabic, French, and Spanish, you know, and English, you know. So yeah, AI is is a big, uh, big, big tool out there now. Uh, so, some companies are using it for commercials, you know, marketing. They use the nice face, you know. It's kind of like a caricature, but you know, it gets a message across, you know. Well, it's funny because I was watching. Uh, I was taking my one of my since I work from home. I take I don't take a one big lunch break, but like chop it up during out the day. And I was watching this video where they were showing this how advanced AI is getting. And someone took Cher, the singer Cher, and Madonna's song, uh, La Isla Bonita, and they had Cher singing it and like acting in the video as if she was like actually did this stuff. And you could not tell. I mean, if, if nobody had told you, you would just think like, wow, like she actually it looked almost like flawless. Yeah. And so that's where AI is going, where you can make, like you said, commercials and promote. So just imagine a cigar industry, like someone like you is like busy and you're like, oh, I can't do, I can't be over here and do this to do that. And you just like somehow set up an AI to say, you know, make me an Instagram, you know, reel that's going to be 30 seconds of me describing this cigar or yeah. whatever. And yeah. you do it. You could probably yeah. do a decent and you tell it, of course, you, you you probably have to feed it the information of, of what to say, but it, it could take your voice. There's stuff that can already dub people's voices, um, and just and it's just amazing. Yeah, like, there's, a, there's a couple of uh, apps out there that uh, they'll take a reel, and then you put your content in there, automatically program it for you. Mm -hmm. And then there's another. There's like three or four apps that work together that do what one should be doing but it's kind of difficult because you have different developers but there's an app that will take uh you you ask it to write a narrative on cigars using this name 
and they'll, and they'll write you a narrative. And then you take that and you load that into an AI meme who's speaking, who looks like a real person. Mm-hmm. You pick the language, they translate it. Then you make a video of it, right? And you add more content. The key is learning how to layer all those different apps together. Once you master that, I mean, you got a pretty good tool to do all kinds of nice, neat things in the cigar world, right? You know, besides yeah. besides pictures and magazines and, you know, all the other stuff that's already out there. Yeah. Exactly. So for you, for you content guys, you know, <laughs> that's, that's heaven, you know, that's heaven mm-hmm. because uh, it saves you a lot of time and it, and it, and it helps you, you know, accomplish your daily tasks or, or projects that you have uh, scheduled, you know, so that's, that's it. Technology is, is amazing, you know? I know. I feel like we, we've done like a, a little technology podcast here. So I want no, to okay. That's not bad. Here's <laughs> a little bit. So how did you get into the cigar industry? So, you know, uh, going back three generations, my father and my grandfather, uh, they did cigars in Cuba. Uh, my father and my grandfather made cigars on the streets of Havana, Little Havana. Uh, and old, uh, I'm sorry, old Havana, and sold them to a lot of tourists, and that was like an extra gig. It was like the gig economy of Cuba back in the in the '60s. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, and my grandfather made made some great cigars, uh, and uh, so I, I was always around cigars as a young child. You know, uh, and then I immigrated to the United States in, in the '60s, and uh, of course. You're a new immigrant, you're poor, you're in a new country, you know, uh, your focus is education and climbing up that ladder. So there was a lot of hard work. Uh, and so at 17, I, I uh, let, let me backtrack here. So living in Miami, I walked Little Havana every day on my way to school. I walked by a Camacho factory, like the time they were on I knew all those little mom and pop shops on Southwest 8th Street on 22nd Avenue. And, you know, and I, it always fascinated me, you know, to uh, one day I'm going to have something like that. Well, I didn't realize it was going to take me 40 years, right, because of economic conditions. So at age 17, I joined the Army. And uh, the Army uh, ended up being a career for 22 years. So I joined the Army uh, and went into uh, the I was a paratrooper for 20-some years, worked in special forces, did all kinds of crazy stuff around the world. I've been to every little conflict we've had in the last 40 years, to include the last two that we were involved in. And then I left the military. I went into another career field doing a special agent-type work around the world. And then I retired. And uh, I get a phone call on a Friday afternoon by one of my old commanders. He goes, hey, I need you in Nicaragua tomorrow. There's riots going on, and we need to get some expats out for this company that's requesting assistance. And I said, okay, uh, send me a plane ticket, and I'll I'll be in Houston in about five hours, and then we'll meet there and then get down to Managua. So we did. And while we're in flight, we're talking to the, the company that's hired us as consultants. We're negotiating salaries. You know? So... My bottom line was, you got to give me $828 a day, period. You know, uh, and it stuck. And then we were supposed to go into Nicaragua for two weeks 
we ended up staying there three years. Wow. So about eight months into the operation, I said, okay, it's my time to make my cigars. You know? So I took a day off, went up to Esteli, knocked on a lot of doors. A lot of doors were shut. Uh, or a lot of the uh, the offers they were making were total, total bullshit. You know, they focus on ripping me off instead of helping me get a brand out, right? And, and then I ran into an old friend uh, who had worked with Robina in Cuba for 20-something years. And I said, hey, man, I didn't know you had a shop. I thought you were in Ecuador. You're here. He goes, what do you need? I said, well, I want to develop some blends. And so we started to work on that. That took about 12 months to accomplish it. And that's where the 828 line came about. Eight hundred twenty-eight dollars a day. You know, and if you look at the, if you look at the band, it's got the A to eight in it, and then it's got cross cross arrows in the back. That's a little bit of my army background. And it's got the Cuban bird, national bird, because that's where I was born. You know, and then on the other side, it's got the tobacco leaves, and the A to eight line came about. You know, so I got into cigars late in the game, but it was uh, due to economic conditions that were I had the opportunity to actually getting the game and uh, I took I took that line to to the PCA in 2019 and it was a hit I mean uh, everybody liked it Atlanta was hot for it especially my silverback uh, torpedo San Andreas wrapper boys loved that stick so uh, it was good it was good for two or three years and then I had some some difficult time I, I ended up with cancer I wasn't able to manage the company the way I wanted. Uh, the person who was running it uh, was not competent enough, in my opinion, and did some stupid things. So I had to shut him off, shut him down, uh, and then restart it with, with my name. Uh, and, uh, you know, I figured give it my own name, Casa Caravaggio. And, uh, and then this last two years, we've been collaborating with, uh, with the factory where I make my cigars. They make cigars for the legacy brands. Uh, and they wanted to get one of their cigars out to the U.S. market. So I said, well, let's start blending, and let's start coming up with a great cigar, and then I'll introduce it at the PCA, you know, which we did. It was the Apache and the Donello, you know. And then I worked on the La Tampeña, which is in honor of all the women who've worked the tobacco industry since the 1800s, and that turned out to be a, also an excellent cigar. So here we are. Here we are. You talked about, you know, I spent part of today kind of listening to some other interviews that you've done, and you're very candid about basically the boutique experience um, and how it differs from being, you know, obviously, I, I don't even like the word boutique because sometimes- I hate it. I hate I, it. I feel like it's, it, first of all, it's hard to define, <laughs> it's hard to define boutique. Second of all, like when I first got into the industry back in 2010, which just feels like eons ago now, you know, it was used as a bad word. It was exactly. Used, exactly. It was used by larger companies to kind of say, "We're the, you know, our cigars are better." Like those are cigars over there are okay, but they're boutique. And I was like, yeah. "Oh my gosh!" So it was like this horrid thing, and I think that's kind of changed. The perception has changed a bit. I think now because I see more companies even larger companies trying to tap into now the boutique lifestyle and the boutique vibe um which is kind of like you know personality driven it's more 
you know, family, home, homey feeling and stuff like that. But it's still a struggle, I think, um, just from speaking to people. And you can tell me if this is true or not to kind of be in this boutique category. Like yeah, it's, it's, it's not the same as being like it, you're in the premium cigar world, which is already a, a very niche product. And now you're in not only are, are you having to deal with being that niche product, but then in an even smaller category, you're, you're told you're boutique. So, you know, yeah. I mean, it's it's uh, it's the big bully hitting down on the little guy. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you make boutique cigars. I make great cigars. Well, you know what? That might have been true at the beginning because there's this misconception that boutique cigars are made in 30 days and they're they're not fermented properly and it's just a quick uh, turnaround to make money. Well, that's, that's utter, uh, utter lie. I mean, mm-hmm. I have to make a better cigar than the legacy brands or just as good. So when a good cigar experienced cigar smoker lights that thing up, he's going to get a positive experience right away from the first puff. From the first draw, it's got to be a positive experience. So my cigars are just as good as any other cigar out there or better in some cases. You know, the, the, the issue is how society and the industry, the folks who are around the industry are programmed, right? Social media has a lot to do that. Ignorance has a lot to do that. If you don't read about a cigar, if you don't learn how that cigar was actually handled from the minute it was seeded to the minute it was fermented and it was cured and then it was put into a nice rolled cigar, then you really don't know much about that cigar. You're just smoking tobacco, right? And a lot of people, unfortunately, fall in that category. And you know, it's it's not it's not that we're competing with the legacy brands because we can't compete with them. I mean, these legacy brands they make so many cigars a year and they stop. Some of them can't even open new accounts because they don't have enough tobacco to grow, right? And we all know who they are. I mean. It's an open market. And then and then you have the smaller companies inside Nicaragua that are helping these legacy brands meet their numbers because there is a shortage worker in Nicaragua for rollers and experienced rollers at that, right? Because if I offer you 25 cents more, you're going to jump ship and go to my factory. Well, that, that dis- destroys your whole operation. You have to go find some new people. There was an exodus from Nicaragua. During the immigration crisis that a lot of people left, that hurt the industry, you know. Uh, so all those factors, you know, equate to people saying, oh, it's, it's a boutique cigar. It's, they're, not, they're not that good. Well, I, I dispute that. Uh, and, and I dispute that because everybody that smoked my cigars, and I have, I've had some dedicated legacy brand smokers who smoke Davidoff, who smoke Placencia, Perdomo, and they come back and they say, whoa, bro, this is hitting it nice and hard here. You know, how come you're not making more money? <laughs> you know, because it's always about the money, right? Oh, so, yeah, you know, well, I don't got $25,000 to get on a spread in a magazine, you know, so I can look cool with my cigar in my hand, you know, 
and then let the world know that that I that I have this brand and everybody read. It takes time to get there because yeah, there are other priorities, you know. You know, not to interrupt you, but to 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 think about that maybe in the nineties during the cigar boom, you could buy good publicity and you could buy market share. I don't know if it's that easy today because I know I'm thinking of cer certain brands out there that have lots of money and they're putting lots of money into the marketing and, and to try to, to come up with like a, a image, you know, of this is who we are or whatever, but they haven't been in the industry as long as, as you, they haven't been in the industry as long as uh, some of the other boutique brands. And yet they're trying to use, you know, the influence of money to basically buy that market share as if this is, 19, you know, 1994. And it's not. And I just don't know if people, I think today's consumers are a little bit more savvy. And today's consumers get bombarded with so many different messages that it's, it takes a lot more than, you know, an image, like I said, like a, or a magazine ad or whatever to, to convince them that, you know, oh, you know, you, you have money to, um, you know, run an ad in this magazine. You, it must be good compared to somebody who, who doesn't. I just think it, it comes down to like notoriety, like, um, you know, being able to, to get, uh, have people to see more of, of what you have to offer, something like that. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. It's about getting your name out there and uh, having people smoke your cigars and then having them tell your story, right? Mm -hmm. and, that, and, th and that's what I tell everybody that smokes my cigars, right? I said, hey, man, if you like my cigar, don't tell me. Tell the world, right? Put it up on Instagram. Put it up on, on uh, Twitter, you know, or on Facebook. Whatever it is you're doing, tell the world that you smoked this cigar and it was a good cigar and, and it was a good price and that you recommend that they try it. So I, I tell that to everybody that tries my cigars uh, because that's the only way to kind of go, grow organically, you know? It's a step-by-step -step process. Now I could, you know, if I had if I had a budget for marketing, then that would be different, you know? I, I think I would be doing a little better, but that takes time also, you know? And uh, marketing alone doesn't not uh, give you success. You have to have a good strategy. You know, with good contingency plans uh, to make sure that you're staying on point and on message, right? Uh, and I think as long as you do that and you respect others, right? Respect is an important thing that uh, I think we we sometimes miss in the industry uh, because let me tell you, man, it's hard work. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. There's a you know. Uh, there's guys who have small companies who, you know, uh, are struggling to keep that brand going because that's their passion and that's their life, you know, and uh, and there's a lot of hard work and respe I respect that. I respect that because it's easy to say, okay, I did it, uh, it didn't work out, I quit, you know. Well, if you quit, then you should have never started in the first place. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, uh, there's there's. Uh, there's that perception out there, and but I think it's changing. I think uh, 
even the retailers are realizing that they need to start bringing something new because generationally we're, we're changing. You know, uh, my, my sons don't smoke the legacy brands. They smoke all kinds of different boutique, what we call boutique brands, stuff that comes out new that they find interesting and uh, entertaining, right? And uh, yeah, and I was, yeah, and I think there, there's lots of consumers like that today, which benefits the boutique category in general. In that, like you said, the younger cigar smoker, as we've come to know them over the, the you know younger adult, we should say, uh, over the last couple of years, are they're not brand loyal. And that might not be that's good right. news for like bigger brands, but for boutique, that's like, yeah. that's your opportunity. And that's a great thing that they're willing to try. Like you said, if, if it has a good story behind it, they're willing to try it. Or if it, even if they just think it visually looks interesting, yeah. they're willing to try it. And I think that confuses a lot of, you know, established brands that, you know, are just think that they can, Sometimes, like the the name alone, kind of sells the product. That they they don't have that brand loyal consumer anymore. Like the consumer is, is like you said, it, they just want to try good cigars, and they're willing to try. It. But it comes, I think, it comes down to though the retailer, if they're willing to give you all the shelf space and the opportunity to compete, and then are they willing to, you know, when they're guiding their customer through the store, are they willing to? introduce that brand you know give a little bit of a push or whatever a lot of times i found like the retailers don't know the full story so it's hard for them so they're going to go with whatever they know what is going to be an easy sale they're going to say go over here and they're and they always say i I don't have the time to build a brand or push a brand and there are even some distributors and wholesalers that i've dealt with over the years that are the same way it's like they won't bring in a boutique brand to sell to retailers because they say, oh, we're not brand builders. We we don't have time to tell the story. But I think you have to make the time. <laughs> like, I think the stories are what sells any product. Exactly. And, you know, sadly, uh, I've, I've been to retailers and uh, normally when, when I go into a retail shop, uh, I spend a couple of hours there. And if, if it's a new retailer, I come back and kind of educate them, help them, right? Uh, you know, if, if you hire somebody to be behind the counter and they don't know anything about cigars, you're failing. You're failing yourself. Because when somebody walks in that humidor, that person needs to be right there with them saying, how are you? What are you looking for? What do you, what do you normally smoke? Right? And say, we have that. And then, oh, by the way, have you tried something new in the past? So here's our entire selection of new stuff. You don't have to pick point one brand you can say here are options for you that you have you know and then if they ask a direct question you'd say well you know based on that question i would smoke this 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 cigar right mm-hmm. you know and now you sold two cigars instead of one right and that guy's going to come back again and buy two more cigars you know so so the retailers sometimes uh do that they, they fail at that a lot of them tell me, yeah, I don't have any shelf space. And I go, I'm looking at your shelf. It's half empty because <laughs> because you don't have the accounts that you're supposed to have because mm-hmm. they're hard to get. So you're buying your legacy stuff from somebody and you're making a penny on it when you could be selling something that's just as good, making more profit on it, all right? So I tell them, put my stuff on the floor, man. I don't care. 
put it on the floor. And one of them laughed at me and they said, really? I said, yeah, put it on the floor. When people walk, they look at the floor, Mm -hmm. you know? And if you go to some big stores, you'll see stuff stacked on the floor, you know, because they have so much and they put it out there and it sells, you know? So there's different, and there's different ways of, of that retailers can bring in a product without giving the shelf space. Like I'm thinking of, I've seen some retailers, they have something as simple as a nice table that they'll put either inside the humidor or outside the humidor. And it's like new stuff and they'll see how well it moves. And if it moves really well, then that gives them an idea like, okay, let me go back and reorder. Maybe this would be a regular thing or we'll at least, you know, bring this in uh, more. Um, yeah. So I there's think there's so many strategies. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And there's so many strategies you could use when you're selling, right? You know, uh, you know, every week you have a special, you know, mm-hmm. and that special is is one of these off brands like mine, right? You know, hey, this is a great cigar, guys. It's the scar of the week. You know, you buy two, you get one free, or whatever. You know, there's all kinds of strategies out there for them to generate money. You know, but you know, retailers, you you have you have retailers that just sell cigars, and you have these lounges, and uh, they all make their money a different way. Some lounges make their money on events, right? And they have events every week. And you buy two cigars, you get one free to get in. And then you got lounges that are franchises. That's how they make their money. Mm-hmm. And then you got you got the guy who's grinding there, you know, who's 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 trying to sell good cigars and you know uh, has good people behind the counter that are knowledgeable. And can give the, the client, you know, a, a, a history lesson on whatever they want, right? You know, so so all those come to play in in the big scheme of things, and you know, each each of them has its own merits, right? You know, and and it is what it is. But yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, the the, the industry is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough industry, uh, and. Uh, the big brands have realized that they missed a great opportunity. Uh, but when they blinked, it was already too late. You know what I mean? Because there's some smaller companies out there that uh, are doing good, you know. Uh, and the reason they're doing good is because they had a lot of industry connections. You know, they worked in the industry for 10, 15 years. So they come up with one good cigar and they launch, they launch another two cigars. But... Their focus is to get that good cigar out there, get their name out there, market that stick, and then grow from there, right? You know, so there's a lot of that out there, and, and good for them. You know, they're, they're doing a great job. And anytime you bring something new to the to the to the field, I think it's a positive for everybody, uh, for for the industry, and more important for the consumer. You know, they have they have so many choices, you know, which is good to have choices to, to say, okay. I mean, it's 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 important to have choices, and uh, you know, I I I was I was blessed when I had a Davidoff guy who only smokes Davidoff. This guy's very wealthy. He's got a boat in Annapolis, you know, and I happened to be in a store in Maryland, and uh, he, he's a little cocky guy, and he goes, "What do you got there?" And I go, "Well, these are my brands, blah blah blah," you know. And, uh, and he goes, oh, okay. So 
So I, I gave him an Apache and I gave him a silverback. And I said, here's, here's my card, man. Tell me how bad that is. And you have time. Of course, I, I, I didn't think he would get back to me. I think he just smoking me. Two weeks later, I get a text message. You know? Hey, Mario, you know, this cigar is just as good as any Davidoff Churchill I've ever smoked. I go. You know what? I was going to say, maybe that would be a great marketing thing to, to address kind of that argument that people are going to give you. Like, oh, like, I don't know. To have like a sheet that says, if you like this brand, and it'll be like some of, like you said, the legacy brands that people are familiar with, you should try this brand in my portfolio. Because then it kind of shows them like a more affordable, you know, you know, yeah. and then like this is the price point that my cigar is. You don't have to put the other person's MSRP there. Yeah. But if you can show yeah. them the progression, I yeah. think that will make a lot of retailers because retailers are just so I'm reading this book about communication. And it says that anytime you have to make someone think, it, it burns calories. Well, and, it and frustrates it, them. It frustrates yeah. them. I mean, wait, so, wait. You said something critical there. You know, when they have to put on their critical thinking hat, <laughs> yes. they get they get mad at you. They do. You know, because they feel that you're questioning them instead of trying to help them. You know, mm -hmm. hey, I want retailers to make a lot of money. I want them to be successful. That's why I make good cigars. Because they could make a good return of investment on my cigars, right? Yes, Getting that uh, message across to them is difficult. It's yeah. difficult, you know. And so, yeah, uh, so you can easily, it, I think, position your your brand to say, "Hey, if you like this namesake brand or whatever, you will love this in my portfolio." It's very similar, and I think yeah. I've seen like I've seen even some of the big companies do that with products within their portfolio, like when they're getting ready to like phase out maybe a certain cigar line that's not going to be available anymore they, yeah. they will do that with their own products they say if you like this product then you'll love this other product and it will sometimes be like the lesser like a lower tier product not quality wise but just right, price right. point wise that people don't think about and they're like what yeah but yeah it works I mean, for them so i'm sure that you could adapt that to your own strategy too yeah you have you have to be careful because uh there's some there legacy brands that are very jealous and They'll throw money at you and sue you, right? Just to <laughs> right. bog you down, bog you down in court. I mean, mm -hmm. I mean, Alan, Alan could tell you, you know, he had to change his whole branding because some legacy brand says, "Oh, you're you're infringing on my invention." Well, it, legally they were not, but right. I, I told I told I told him I said, "Don't waste your money on a lawyer. He'll he'll drag this thing out, and you lose all your money." You know. You'll win, but you lose your money. So don't don't do it. Mm -hmm. Just 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 rebrand it, right? Do something different. And God and behold, his new logo is even better than the last one. You know, what I, mean? I know that's what I we know. talked about in his show, like how the challenge or the something that you think is going to be bad ends up being turning out to be the best thing that could happen. Like it's beautiful. It's after you've it's experienced beautiful. the same thing in your business, like yeah. something that was bad, you yeah. can, now you might look back at it and say. It's kind of good that that happened because I would never have been pushed or forced to to rethink this and reapproach it from a different angle. Now, yeah, I, I I told them write them a letter and thank them for being so <laughs> so persistent, right? And, and it's also it's also pretty damn petty, right? When a big multinational because they have the money does something petty like that, right? Uh, 
to me, that's that's not an honorable thing to do. Uh, even I if think, it's business, you know? Yeah, I was about to say, I think it's just a corporate kind of business approach now. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's I like, mean, like it, you get right on the, the for, on the front of IP and yeah. like you're protecting your IP yeah. and therefore you need to defend it. And that's, yeah. it's well, just... Yeah, that what I what I tell what I tell everybody is it's kind of hard to compete with those folks because they have something special, they have something unique, right? That nobody else has. So I mean, you're not competing with them. Those guys have their own customers uh, that are very uppity up because you're spending five, six hundred, up to thousands of dollars for a box of cigars. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's a whole different level, you know. Of 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 a gaming ship. So, but you know what? Uh, each one of us has our own ethics, our own uh, moral moral compass that we live by, and and as long as you stick to that, and you, you respect people, and you're good to people, you know, things work out. You know, things work out. You know? So it's it's one of those one of those uh, things you you take with a grain of salt and you move on. So where do you want your brand and your company to go from here? Well, I I ask that because I know most people want their company to grow, but I've known people who start companies simply for the fact that they want to sell it at some point. I know people who, who are the complete opposite. They have no intention of ever selling it, but they want to reach a certain personal goal. Like they have something that they want to achieve and they hope that they can like the company will help them reach that goal. So what's your goal? Yeah, so I already reached my main goal, which was, you know, create my blends and put them out on the street and put out an excellent product with good reviews. I've done that, you know, so from that from that perspective, I checked out lockup. Uh of course I want to grow, right? I want to grow uh but I want to grow slowly. I don't want to grow too fast, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to grow where I can manage things and uh, not lower my my quality, keep that quality at a high point, and continue to provide high quality products at a at a at a slow to moderate pace. You know, uh, and I don't want to sell unless it's just something you can't refuse. Right, the selling is not in my my radar right now. What's in my radar is to, you know. Continue to grow, uh, you know, get get a hundred, hundred stores, two hundred stores, you know, and be able to sustain them with good quality t- cigars, you know, uh, help other people that need help in the industry uh, with either advice or collaborating with them. I believe that's important. I don't think there's enough of that in the industry. Mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a lot of uh, you know, hey, you know, forget about them. You know, they don't count. You know, uh, so uh, that's my approach. You know, um, if, if somebody ever came and said We're, we want to buy your blends, and we went, no, we can sit down and talk because that's business, right? But that's not on my radar right now. My radar, you know, I like to own, I like to own a uh, a retail shop also. You know, that's part of my business plan. You know, so it's not just making the cigars and selling them wholesale. In in my business plan, I have. A, uh, I have a phase where I purchase a a retail shop, and uh, that retail shop will have a, a wall 
that will be nothing but, you know, uh, new new legacy cigars, right? Us, you know, not not just the old guys, right? Uh, and then promote them because I'm going to have somebody on that store that that's what that's going to be their job because we're going to sell more of those cigars than we will the onesies and twosies, right? You know, you got to buy seven, you got to buy the entire line and only two boxes sell. And you can't get enough of them, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, to, to sound like a, an old 1980s cartoon, Saturday morning cartoon at the end, you know, the, the change begins with you. So, yeah. you, you know, know I've you, always have to, a, you have yeah. to start the change yourself. So, like, if you enter the retail world and you start doing that, then that becomes, you know, you expand your, your circle of influence to consumers. You're, you're changing their view of those cigars. And like I said, and then you're starting to kind of just affect the whole industry in a different way. So yeah. I think that's a great goal to have. And I haven't heard that goal yet, you know, yeah. with, with a lot of people, because a lot of people are just like, oh, I don't want to really get into retail. But I think, you know, I, th I think it makes sense because yeah. obviously you have your own brand. Yeah. So it, it yeah. kind of gives you a, a whole different stage to kind of play on. I mean, my, you know, uh, the, the first retail shop may not be Casa Caraballo. I'll probably keep the the name that it has because you don't want to change that overnight and then mm -hmm. uh, kind of disappoint the loyal customers that you have, right? So that's the starting point. But then you could open up a second one with your name, like Casa Monte Cristo, right? You know, mm -hmm. do that, you know, and you could even franchise it if you want to. You know, uh, because it's a turnkey operation, you know, so and there's all kinds of ways to do that. So, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, and and uh, I think if everything works out, that will that will be uh, that will happen. And if it does happen, I'll make sure I let you know and you will come down to that lounge and smoke a cigar and enjoy, you know, uh, and be part of that family, you know, uh, wherever it may be. Right now, I'm looking at a couple of places in Florida. Uh, uh, so hopefully that will work out and then you know, we'll see what happens. But no, I don't I don't want to sell right now or or I also want to expand uh, into Latin America, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Colombia, Panama, uh, Venezuela. Venezuela, I can't right now because of the embargo and all kinds of uh, political BS, you know. But I have a lot of people from Venezuela saying, hey, man, I went to Miami and I tried your cigars. Can we get some, right? And I said, bro, I can't send you that to Venezuela. You know, I get in trouble and I'm not going to risk it, right? If you're ever in the States, call me and I'll give you some, you know. And uh, and, and I do. I mean, I, 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 you know. I, I'm never hesitant to give a cigar away to somebody. The, the one thing I don't do is, uh, you know, I, I told you earlier on, I'm not a marketing company. You know, I don't hand out hats and T-shirts and um, right. a lot of cutters and stuff because I don't have the budget for that. I'm in the business of selling cigars, you know, uh, and that's where my money goes to making good cigars so you can enjoy them. Now, every once in a while, I buy a little, you know, couple hats and stuff and I'll share them with you and way, but. You know, the focus is making good cigars. Yeah. 
at this point in the show, I'd like to kind of close out this part of the interview with two questions. Uh, the first of those questions is, do you have a philosophy that you live by? Yes, I do. I have a, so, uh, you know, I have a, because of my upbringing and my background in the army, you know, uh, uh, there, uh, no is not in my vocabulary, right? Uh, when, 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 when you get dropped behind enemy lines and you got to go hit a target and you know, you may not come back, you know, no, is not an option. You know, it's yes, we're going to go in, we're going to accomplish the mission. We're coming home. And everybody that goes in with you comes home with you. So I have that ingrained in my in my blood, in my philosophy, where I lead by example, you know. And and we could talk a whole segment about leadership and all these bullshit uh, little clips you see on Instagram that you know I did this and that, and if it wasn't for this, you you you're not going to be a millionaire. You know that's all hypable. You know. Uh, when you're on the ground and you got to make tough decisions because people's lives depend on it, your whole mindset changes, you know? And if you have a negative mindset, you die, you die. So I have a very positive mindset. Uh, when I was told I was going to die because I had bone cancer and, and uh, prostate cancer, uh, you know, I uh, kind of, I was scared. First time in my life, I've really been scared, right? Because it's something I can't cure, I can't control, you know? So I took a step back and I, I uh, got my family together and I said, I don't want to hear any negative stuff here. All right, I don't want you guys crying. I don't want you guys playing around. Don't pity me. I want you guys to focus on your daily lives, you know, and uh, you know, be happy. And I'm going to worry about the winning strategy, right? And my winning strategy was I locked my my surgeon in a room, and I debriefed that guy. Like if he was a prisoner of war, you know, I wanted to know every little detail of how he was going to treat me and how that targeted treatment was going to affect every part of my body. So there was things that I didn't agree with. And I told him, I don't want you to do that. I want you to do this, you know, and God and behold, he was a great surgeon. Uh, when we went into the surgery for the prostate, I said, I had stage four prostate cancer. We had already gone into my bones. And I said, take it out, but I don't want you to cut it. I want you to slice. I had done a lot of research for prostate surgeries around the world and what was successful or not as far as recovery. And I've always been a healthy guy. Uh, you know, fitness was always part of my regime in the Army, uh, after the Army. So health-wise, I knew I was in good shape, you know. But before the surgery, I lost 40 pounds just to be even better, to mm -hmm. recover faster, right? And I spent six hours on the operating table wow. and, and he sliced it fast forward two years. Cause that's how long it takes for you to fully recover. Everything they told me, the nightmare that they told me I was going to live with, with a bag, I was going to probably, uh, die from the bone cancer, blah, blah, blah. All those things never happened. I'm fully functional. I don't, have any of those symptoms that I was supposed to be with the rest of my life. Part of that was my mindset. The other part was science. You know, thank God for science, you know. So having a positive mindset uh, helps you helps you when you're struggling, you know. And then, then I had the bone issue where they had to do targeted radiation on my pelvis for seven weeks. So I went 
surgery, four weeks, chemo, took a break, and then boom, six weeks of, uh, six or seven weeks of radiation. And, you know, there were days that, I, man, I wanted to die. I was feeling so bad. Every ounce of strength that I had, I lost. I lost. And it's taken me two or three years to get back to where I feel good. Like now, I feel good. I feel I feel alive. I feel energized, you know. Mm -hmm. But a lot of that has to be right here, man, you know. And I'm a very positive type mindset. And while being positive, I always like to help others out. It satisfies me if you call me in the middle of the night and you say, I got this problem. I, I need you to li listen to me. And I'll sit there and listen because I want you to be successful. I don't want you to do stupid things. I want, you know, so we need a little humanity in everything we do in this world. You know? So that's my philosophy, man. Um, and thank you for sharing all that because that was definitely um, some personal stuff. So I think someone who listens to that will definitely benefit from that um, story that you and the experiences that you went through. Um, I want you to finish this sentence. Mario Caraballo is. It's a great guy. <laughs> I'm a great guy, man. You know, <laughs> you know, I give my shirt off my back to everybody because I live by that. You know, and, uh, I, I think that, uh, growing up with a lot of hardship shaped mm -hmm. that. And, uh, I'm glad I'm able to do that. So yeah, I'm a good guy. And I make great cigars. <laughs> well, that, that kind of leads into the next question, which is um, before we close out this part of the interview, could you tell people what website, what social media they need to follow in order to keep up with you and your brand? Yeah, Mario Caraballo, Casa Caraballo Cigars at casacaraballo.com and on Instagram, at Casa Caraballo, on Twitter at Casa Caraballo, the same thing for Facebook. Uh, you will be able to enjoy the A28 lineup, which includes a San Andres Torpedo Limited Edition. Uh, great cigar, rated 95 by Stogie Press. You'll be able to enjoy the uh, A28 Oscuro, which got a Sumatra wrapper in it, and this cigar was numbered Number two cigar for 2021 by Ash Quarterly, rated 9.6. And now we have La Campeña, which is a great cigar uh, in honor of the women. The Apache and the Donello, that's already gotten good reviews by some of the people out there who give reviews to cigars. They're all up in the 90s, so great cigars. And uh, ask your tobacconist to bring them into your stores. Awesome. I want to thank Mario for coming on to Deep Cuts and spending an hour and three minutes with us. And he's going to stay tight for a few minutes because we're going to be filming a couple of other things that you can um, be able to see on YouTube and also Instagram. But if you missed any of this interview or want to see any of the others, the best place to go is actually YouTube. So you can go to youtube.com slash deep cuts live. And you can also go to deep cuts live.com and see all the past 130 some episodes that we've done other, other interviews. Um, and you can see this one also in its entirety, but thank you all for watching and listening and until next time.